Because right now you can't see, but he's just wearing a white T-shirt on his body. Yeah. That's it. T-shirt on his body. That's it. That's yeah. That's it. Just a white oh, T-shirt on your body. Plain white tees right oh. there. How you doctor doing, Doctor Esteban Marconi? Good. This is the season of sweaty balls, isn't it? Oh. It certainly is. The winter time. <laughs> it, it, it is like that it's as we NPR. listen. Think, thinking about our NPR and our sweaty Alex Baldwin balls. jokes. Has yes. and it has to do with uh, like dodgeball and things sure. like that. Yes, but our, our listeners should. What? What kind of balls? I played pickleball this week. You did play pickleball. Yes. And we would go nowhere else with that. Very good. Because it's public radio, mm-hmm. and this is brave new radio. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. You know who I was just watching? Yes, I do. Okay, who's that? I don't care. No, go on. I was watching the lighting of the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree, uh-huh. and one of the artists was Straight No Chaser. Oh, really? And we've had uh, we had the former Don Nottingham yes. of Straight No Chaser. And I uh, couldn't remember what he looked like to see if he was... Well, he's not in the group anymore. He quit. Not at all. But he no. was still doing the legal... No, he was doing nothing. He uh, was trying to get into the business. Right. So he left the band. He was doing legal stuff for them because he was a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And uh, listeners can listen to our podcast of our interview with Don Nottingham from May 2018, yes. I guess, something like yeah. that. Because we are going to Nashville this year. Yeah. Because Ashley Veltner, let's say hi to Ashley Veltner. Okay. Behind the made-up glass. Hello. Ashley went with us to Nashville. Yes, she in did. In 2017. Is that eight, Seven, 18? 18? 17. I'm all no, thrown off because no, this is 2019 18. now. You're right. Last uh, year, 2018. It could be a year off. That's right, because I went by no, myself no, this no. year, 2019. You went by yourself in 19. We I went by myself in 19. So, and Tyler 18. Buchanan is here, our student co host. Yeah, Hello, Tyler. I was there too. Yeah, and you were there the same year as Ash. Yeah. Great, there we go. Right. That's right. This is, this is great stuff. This is great radio stuff. Speaking of great radio stuff, there was an announcement today. And I'll take a step back. Tom Hefter of Ticketmaster, who Ashley knows very well. The first time Tom was on our show three or four years ago, he was talking all about Motley Crue and VIP ticketing. And he said Motley Crue is not going to tour again at that time. He said they signed. Listen to the podcast, boys and girls. Mm-hmm. He said, listen, uh, they signed a contract with themselves to never tour again. Mm-hmm. And I believe, and I didn't believe, I believe they signed a contract. Believe I believed it was marketing. And I believe I said on the show that'll be that's a great contract for three or four years until they decide to tour again and the big announcement today was Motley Crue is doing a stadium tour next summer with Def Leppard and uh, Poison is the smaller Mm -hmm. support act you also forgot Joan Jett oh and Joan Jett those are the four Joan Jett and the Blackhearts Joan Jett 
workhorse. She Every year, she's she'll go out with Cheap Trick. She's gone out with um. It's it's an interesting mix though. Motley Crue, Poison, Def Leppard, and Joan Jett. Because Joan Jett to me is rock, and the others are hair bands. You know. Yeah, yeah but think about it. it. Like you get an entire different audience with bringing Joan Jett on there. Mm-hmm. And then it opens up like not just the hair band lovers, but you also get the rock lovers. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm a lover, mm-hmm. not a fighter. We should uh, give thanks, Dr. Esteban. Yes, we should. Thanks to the folks at Van Dyne, Bruno Wink, and White Hat Management. With artists like Dave Matthews, Readers Down St. Vincent, and Kiss, there's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to VB. CPA.com when you're ready. We also want to give thanks to Christine. Oi. They. A wealth manager at the Forefront Group. Yes. Total change. He's been she's been at Oyve Wealth Management for 110 years, but now it's at the Forefront Group. Correct. There's no way to fit an Oy in there. Yes, there is. Did you get my email today? Let's see. With the new copy? Yes. So she's helped many professionals all over the University of William Patterson manage their investments plan for the retirement. When you're thinking of building a bridge to your financial future, Think about the Forefront Group and go to christine.oyvey at forefront.com. Leave the last oy off for savings. <laughs> I guess you can still, still get works. some oys in there. Yes, it still works. <laughs> <laughs> and, yes. So uh, those of you listening now, thank you for listening. And you're probably listening on the podcast on either the SoundCloud, the iTunes, or the Spotify. And don't forget, go to musicbiz101wp.com. Sign up for that newsletter. And... We are in year 5.5. Just we have one more show in a season 5.5 of Music Biz 101 and more on Brave New Radio. One more show in two weeks. Carl yes. Guthrie, music business attorney Carl Guthrie, will be on. Now we got uh, some kudos this week, didn't we? There was an attorney that's a budding attorney in the music and entertainment business that is. A relative of someone. Oh, oh! Who's been listening to our podcast? That's right. One of our uh, uh, colleagues here, Dr. Anton Vicio. Oh yes, okay. Uh, yes. Who who teaches here? His sister is an attorney, and just by chance at the dinner table, they were talking about music, and she said, "I've been listening to this podcast, Music Biz One Hundred One and More." And he goes, "I know one of those guys." So I think he was probably referring I'm to you. To you. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. But yes, yeah, so uh, I told him to tell her that we had a, an attorney on in two weeks mm-hmm. and for her to listen. Yes. But if she's listening right now, um, good day, you Sister Sister Vicio. <laughs> I guess, yes. So um, you should also know that founded in 1994, Girly Action is a full-service media, I'm sorry, full-service music PR marketing and artist management agency that offers a wide range of artists and project Management services designed to create and promote music-driven products and content and to power artist careers. Of course, we're talking about girly action, media, marketing, and management. Three and M's. Three, the three M's. And we have Vicky Starr, who is the owner, I believe, the, the founder of that outfit on the radio with us tonight. Vicky, Dave, and Dr. Esteban, how are you? Hey, nice to meet you. Nice to be on the air with you guys. Yes, we've met. Right. So now we it's met. we have met. Now yes. we're just yes. virtual. Yes, it's a different sort of interaction this time. Yeah, and I do need to clarify: I am not the founder of Girly Action. My business partner, Felicia Echo, founded it, and I joined her a couple months later, and that was twenty-five years ago. Oh, okay. There we go. That that clears yeah. that yeah. up. 
And yeah. that, that was that was good of you. You're a good person to say that. Um, you could have taken all the credit. You could have said you invented the letter <laughs> letter Q or something as well. But but no. <laughs> so that's great. So okay. So yeah, uh, yeah Doctor well, Stavon's going to start with a third degree. He's a friend, degree. of course, and you were here at the panel about a month ago, October 11th. Right. Mm-hmm. On our music biz, one one more live. Right. Which people can listen to on uh, our podcast. I yes. thought that was the panel we did on influencers. No, just kidding. <laughs> there was a whole lot of talk about TikTok and influencers. Right. So yeah. we'll pick up. No, we're not going to pick up where we left off. Yes. No, I was going over your um, your roster today, and it's, uh, I mean, it has such a wide variety of people from Preservation Hall Jazz Band to Wycliffe John to Tori Amos to, I mean, on and on. So how do you choose who you are going to represent? Well, first of all, I should I should I should talk to you just for a minute about the different departments that we have in our company Great. because we we you know we have different considerations for each. So we are primarily known first and foremost as a PR firm. That's about seventy-five percent of our business probably. Um, and for those projects, when someone calls us looking for PR, um, you know the main thing we want to ascertain is whether or not we think we can tell the story. So, you know, it's not so much that we, you know, like, for example, I don't need to like the band's music personally for us to feel like we can do a good job with them if we feel that they're good at what they do. You know, like, I might not, for example, I might not be a heavy metal fan, Mm -hmm. but if there's a heavy metal band and we can clearly see that they're good at what they do, they've got a fan base, they've had maybe a little bit of local press has already written about them, or they've got a couple of other little things going on maybe they've done a few shows here and there and they're starting to get a bit of a fan base and a little bit of a social media following and we feel that we get what they're doing and we know how to tell their story then that's a pretty good you know project for us to engage with them on a, on a PR campaign but um, you know if it's a band that literally you know has five followers on Instagram and has never released any music and has never done a show out in public and is really starting from ground zero we would advise them that they probably need to develop a little bit more of a grassroots following before it's worth them spending money on a PR campaign. Mm-hmm. So the old adage used to be with PR, and I'm going back years, of course, is that the primarily your job was to make chicken salad out of chicken poop. Poop, okay, because <laughs> that's where you helped me. Does that still hold true today? Well, certainly not in arts and entertainment. I mean... You know, first of all, music criticism is dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's an, there there, with the exception of the New York Times and maybe a handful of other legacy titles, most most press outlets are not critiquing mm-hmm. music. They are profiling music or featuring music, but they're not usually critiquing it. Mm-hmm. So it's not so much. So it's really more a question of just cutting through the noise. You know, the, mm-hmm. the bar to entry in the music industry has gotten very low, which is good because it democratizes everything. And, you know, anybody with a computer can make music these days. Most people, you know, have computers nowadays. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so then it becomes a question of, like, how do you stand out? How do you cut through the noise? If there's, you know, 100 indie rock bands that are, you know, got started in Boston this year, you know, which five or ten of them are going to, you know, they'll be around in three years and maybe have a fan base outside of their hometown. 
Mm-hmm. And so it really comes down to kind of figuring out, you know, who's, which of the 100 bands you might want to listen to in any given minute are going to be worth your time. Mm-hmm. And when we are pitching stories to the press, a lot of times, literally, we're not even pitching a story. We're, we're pitching a we're, – we're saying, will you post our video on your website? You know, that's kind of what music journalism has largely come down to these days. I hate to say it, but um, there's not that much being written. It's more about posting content or, um, you know, just like kind of interesting features on an artist that, like, everyone already likes. Or, or you know, if an artist that is getting a lot of attention and a lot of people are already listening to their music, then you'll see a big, you know, like a big feature on that person. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. we're, you know, our job really is to cut through the noise and to get the journalists who are still covering music out there and the media outlets that still exist, and there are fewer and fewer every year, um, to get them to just, you know, think that our band is the one that deserves that space on their website that day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So does uh, your intuition still play a a major role you get this feeling when you're trying to cut through all that noise you know sometimes it's it's yes and no i mean you know sometimes it comes down to taste i wish i could tell you after 25 years that i've discovered the the key to you know the pop the pop song formula the pop mm-hmm. the hip hop song formula but honestly i don't know what that is i just know what i like you know what i mean i know i know an earworm when i hear it if you hear a song once and you wake up the next morning and it's stuck in your head, that's an indication of something. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I might I might really love a band and you might not like them, and that doesn't mean that they're good or bad. It just means I like them and you don't like them. Mm-hmm. I, what's more important these days, for better or worse, because, because we live in a social media world now, a digitally social world, um, it also means we're living in a data-driven world. And we talked about this a little bit when I was – you know, visiting you guys last month, that, sure. you know, everybody can see, the, 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 the music critics, the, the press, the journalists can see who, how many people like a band, the record labels can tell how many people are listening to a song, everybody can see all the numbers, right? So the question then becomes, you know, are those numbers giving an accurate representation of how, of the artist's talent or other other things going on and you know there's just it's it's i wish that it was sort more straightforward but a lot of times it's a lot of just sort of smoke and mirrors and getting someone on the right day and you know maybe they clicked on the video because they liked the outfit that the person was wearing and Mm -hmm. then when the Mm -hmm. video starts playing they realize they actually like the song too you know what i mean like yeah we're, we we are we spend so much of our time literally just trying to figure out how are we going to get someone to open our email, mm-hmm. how are we going to write a creative subject line so that of the you know if you're a music journalist you're getting probably several hundred pitches a day mm-hmm. from publicists you, you know I'm I've had journalists tell me that they've got you know they received 178 emails yesterday pitching them on new songs that are coming out next month so how do we get people to open our email as opposed to ignoring it. How do they get them to click on the link and listen to the song? I mean, there's so much thought that goes into, like, just how do we get their attention? That's half the battle right there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And an artist, um, an artist that you love, an artist that has great music but doesn't quite have stage presence or charisma, how, mm-hmm. do, you, how do you build that so that they can get noticed? Well... 
it depends on to what level we're working with them. I mean, I also should say and mention that I actually run our artist management division. Yes. And in the when you're when you manage an artist, it's a lot more of a holistic approach. My job as a manager is to figure out how to guide the artist in developing their career. Whereas if we're doing a PR campaign for an artist, our job is much more limited. Our job is simply to figure out how to get publicity for the, you know, piece of content or the activity that they're engaged in at the moment. Mm -hmm. So if someone hires us to do PR around a new album, it's probably too late for us to tell them that they need to work on their charisma or they need to work on their stage presence. But, you know... But but when we're if I'm managing an artist, I'm definitely that's the kind of stuff I'm going to talk to them about, like you know how to how to be less nervous on stage or how to be, you know this that or the other. The big issue I think comes up around uh, it's not it, it part of it's charisma, part of it is just sort of how comfortable is the artist out there in the world? Are they introverts? Are they extroverts? Because mm -hmm. you know the other thing, and we I know we talked about a lot of this stuff in the, in the class that I attended, but uh, the workshop that I attended, but the, you know, social media has in many ways replaced the press. And, you know, we're talking about this on a societal level, but certainly on a music uh, consumption level, uh, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, not only is the press dying and they're not running reviews, but I don't even know if music fans even care to read reviews because they're, they'd probably rather just click on the link and check out the music themselves. So then the question becomes, how do you find your fans if you're an artist? And that goes back to the social media piece. And the problem that we do see often is that not all artists like to be social, <laughs> you know, on social media. Exactly. Not all artists want to engage with their fans that way. It's mm -hmm. an enormous amount of work, and not all artists are designed. I mean, a lot of artists actually are introverts, which you know, it's, sure. that's sort of a that's sort of a sounds like a weird contradiction because most m most um, music artists are eventually trying to be on stage and be in the spotlight, and that doesn't. You'd think that that doesn't. That's the opposite of being an introvert. Mm -hmm. But a lot of ours are, are actually both. You know, they're very talented and they want to be on stage and they want to perform in front of other people, but they're still incredibly shy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so uh, doing social media for them might be really awkward. And that's a real struggle. Yeah, yeah. We had uh, actually were friends with Aaron Van Dyne, who at one point had as a client, he's a business manager, and at one point he had Charlie Puth. And, of course, Charlie Puth's music is everywhere, and he's making tons of money as a songwriter. And he was out on tour, and uh, Aaron said, Dave, correct me if I'm wrong, but Aaron said several times he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to be on stage. Right. He, he just doesn't want to tour, and he doesn't want to be on stage. Uh, and that's a, that's a good example. And there's so right. many artists that say, when I get up and the lights on and I'm in front of the microphone, I'm great. But as soon as I get off that stage, I don't want to talk to anyone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And to get so then, what does he does he put on like a character? Does he put himself in sort of a character mode when he's on stage? Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But in today's DIY world and developing artist world, you almost have to train the artists to fight those impulses to be shy. You know, they have to figure out how can I be a not even type A, but a, a type B plus personality after that show so I can meet these people and shake hands and stand at the merch table and 
help sell the merch and they want to meet you as an artist mm -hmm. and they need that, especially Vicky, you can uh, attest to this. Uh, they need that one-on-one -on -one interaction because that's what the fans are used to now because mm -hmm. of social media. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And actually I, it's funny. I had, um, I had an artist that was doing just a little sort of uh, small acoustic, like stripped down set, just like a 15 minute set as part of a bigger program at the uh, WMYC green space last night. And mm -hmm. I had to leave before she was finished with her set. Cause I had another band playing across town. So I had to kind of do both. But, but literally as I was leaving, I sent her a text and I said, don't forget when you go off stage or, or when the, when the, the event is wrapping up, don't forget to go out and hang out in the lobby when people are emptying out of the room in case anybody wants to say hi to you or talk to you. Because, and I do, I try to make all my artists after their shows go to the merch table and meet and greet their fans. And again, some love doing it. Some, some, some will stand there till the bitter end hugging every fan that wants to come. You know? um, but a lot of them get a little shy about it. I'll tell you this, you definitely as an artist are going to sell more merch if you're at the merch table. Mm -hmm. you know? yeah. Sure. Yes. Uh, Saturday night, I went to saw a uh, DIY show in New Jersey, and one of the guys, mm -hmm. one of the bands, was from Pitts Pittsburgh, and mm -hmm. uh, they were really good. And the lead guy, they were in all instrumental, um, but mm -hmm. uh, they went. And uh, after it was over, one lead guy was at the table. I don't know what happened to the rest of the band, but the lead guy was there, and I gave him an extra ten bucks just. Because the, they came all the way from Pittsburgh, I said, mm -hmm. you know, this will buy a couple gallons of gas for you guys or something. Right. And, mm -hmm. and the funny thing mm -hmm. was, he gave me a CD, and I felt bad, not saying I don't want your CD, not because I don't like their music, but because I have nowhere to play the CD. Right. Except right. The you don't want the plastic, and you don't yeah. have a disc in your disc drive in your computer anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I drove home, and I listened to them on Spotify. Which right. Is exactly. The way it is now. Your plastic, right. but here's my ten dollars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Which is cool. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> but 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 if he wasn't standing there, they wouldn't have gotten that 10 bucks. Right. And and I guess that's the lesson. And I wasn't doing that to prove any lesson or anything. I just really liked the band and I felt really good that here they were in Jersey. They drove 6 hours from Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. Here's 10 bucks, yeah. you know. Yeah. Right. Yeah, totally. Totally. Right. Yeah. So managing um do you is it harder to choose who you're going to manage versus uh, doing PR for them? Uh, yeah, because doing PR, we're usually getting hired for a period of time. It a could project. Be from, yeah, it yeah. could be two months, it could be six months, it could be a year. And some artists we do end up working with just everything just keeps rolling over into the next thing. So, you know, Wyclef Jean, we're pretty much active with him every month for the last three years, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But um, but a lot of artists will just, you know, or labels will come to us to hire us when an artist has a new record coming out and we're on a three-month campaign and then that's it, or a five-month campaign. With management, it's much more like getting married. I mean, you know, it's not a volume business. We, you know, we have a, our company, we have eight publicists, so we could do, you know, and each each team of two publicists could do eight or ten projects at any given time. So we might have 40 with management, myself and my, uh, I have a, someone on my team named Hannah who co-manages with me in between us, the, you know, we're really stretched in with seven clients. And, you know, it takes us a good, it takes me a good year work 
working with an artist before, I feel like I've really done mind meld with them, where I'm we're really on the same page about everything. I can really sort of operate on fully on their behalf, and you know, know sort of what they want and how they're thinking. But it takes like a year to really onboard myself or onboard them into our system and onboard myself into their kind of life and their world and understand, you know, all the moving parts and figure out what I want to do with them because really managing an artist is kind of like running their entire company. So for me, you know, I'm I'm one of the two people that runs Girly Action, but then I also my Hannah and I and my Hannah and my team and I you know, we have seven bands that we manage. So that's like running seven other businesses. Hmm. Hmm. So how, how do you, um, if two of you handle the management, how do you split up all of the duties? And talk about some of the minutiae that you guys do as managers that people don't assume that you do. Oh, man. Well, you know, the fun stuff is trying to get him a record deal, trying to get him a booking agent, trying to get him a publishing deal, all that stuff, um, which is sort of the quote-unquote shopping them around. Um, it's an enormous amount of day-to-day work. Some of it's just, you know, at administrative, you know, mind-numbing administrative work, like register, you know, like taking care of all the publishing registrations. Every time an artist releases a new song, there's probably... Hey, hey Vicky, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Could, could we do this? Could you um call us back? Because we keep getting a lot of disturbance in the oh. force. Yeah, sure. We get some, uh, right just uh, okay. hang up and call right back. Yeah. If you don't mind. Thank you. She's either on a treadmill. Yeah. Or she's flying a Piper Club. I I couldn't tell. Flying a Piper Club? What's that? Piper Club. What's a Piper Club? It's a small aircraft. Oh, really? Oh, okay. (laughs) I mean, because it was... Or she's on a subway. I couldn't tell. Oh, right. Oh, oh, okay. Yes. With all those noises. Yes. They They were... Good noises, but she should be. She did call right back. And uh, Vicky, are you Vicky, Vicky Star? Are you back? Yep. There we ah. go. Is that better? It actually does sound better. Already, it sounds yeah, better. it already does. There were these beeps and all sorts of oh, fun sounds. Yes. So, so st- one step back. Um, you, we were talking about the minutia of being a manager, and you were talked about uh, the, the last thing I think you mentioned was uh, uh, registering all their their publishing and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of stuff that needs to happen that people don't, you know, like even the artists and, and even I sometimes forget until, you know, a month later. And I'm like, oh, we got to do all the paperwork. So let's say we put an album out. Um, you know, I mean, first of all, we have to, you know, there's all the stuff that goes into making the record. So even if even if we're not, even if we have a record label involved and some of our self-release, so then we're also operating as the record label. Um but, you know, so there's all the stuff that goes into making the record, and it's, you know, it's all the obvious stuff, like recording the music, but it's a lot of stuff, there's a lot of less obvious stuff, like you got to do press photos, and you got to make cover art, and you got to get all the songwriting credits organized, and all the liner notes, and all that kind of stuff, right? And then, you know, once you put music out, you got to register all the music with your PRO, whether it's ASCAP or BMI, or your publishing company, and, you know, there's just, there's all this kind of, like, back-end stuff that nobody sees, but it's just, it's an enormous amount of just logistics for for pretty much everything. I mean, you know, when a band is getting ready to go on tour, we have to do everything from, you know, create tour budgets to, you know, sorting out 
whether they're going to fly or drive or rent a van or borrow a van and, you know, just, you know, all the band members available for all the dates and just, you know, tons of odds and ends. And, and I guess don't forget also uh, Sound Exchange. You're also registering the songs for that, I assume. Correct. Correct. And, and when you yeah. do that, there's a long and, – and could you bring up then the metadata that you have to collect all along the way so that you get all this stuff right the first time? Yeah, you have to have, you know, the name of the song, the name of the album, the artist name. Those are all the obvious things. But then, you know, again, if we're if we're if I'm going to if 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 my artist is signed to ASCAP and I need to sign and I need to log on to ASCAP to register all the songs, I need to know if anyone else helped write any of those songs. And if so, what percentage are they getting? Um, you know, it's the same with Sound Exchange. You've got the you've got you've got two forms of registrations on Sound Exchange. You've got the rights holder, the rights owner, which is the person who controls the master. Sometimes that's the artist, a lot of times that's the record label. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the artist registration for the for the artist that's featured on the recording. Mm-hmm. So and you know those then they need the IRSC code, which is the, the sort of the thumbprint of the song, and the UPC code, which is sort of the the retail code for the album. You know, and just and and so it's a lot of that kind of stuff. It's it's and a lot of it is like it's really mind-numbing uh, information and data, but it is so crucial because that's how artists get paid. And when you're a baby band and you're just starting out, your ASCAP checks might only be you know five or ten dollars a month. But once you're an artist that has had, I mean, I have two artists that I manage who've been recording for 10 years or more and and who have you know five six seven eight one of them has nine albums out and these are not you know like mainstream you know commercial radio pop hit makers these are just you know working artists but they have enough of a enough music out there that you know let me see my one artist who's got eight records out since 2004 she probably gets $15,000 a year from her publishing. Mm. And, and, and this, this is, by the way, this is an instrumental guitarist, so this is, this is not pop music. These are not radio hits. This is simply, this is money that's coming simply from people buying her records or streaming them online. It's coming from the mechanical royalties. But, you know, when you've got nine albums and each album has 12 songs and some of them have been out for years and she's got fans all over the world, those pennies, like publishing is pennies upon pennies upon pennies, but it adds up. Now, if the publishing registrations are not correct, and I'm talking about a typo, like if I spell her name wrong, if I spell the name of the song wrong, she's not going to get paid for that song. It's not going to match up in the system so that when, a, when ASCAP is going around the world collecting all the money for that song, they're not going to find any money for that song because they don't have the song registered under the right name. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's that kind of stuff, you know. It's the it's all the little minutia that when it adds up, it can be a big part of the person's business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I I agree. And and so as we're talking about sort of the minutia and the data, uh, Tyler is here with us. He's our student co-host, and he's going to read. I'm sorry, you can say hi. Hi. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> there, that's, that's, that was good, you guys. And uh, Tyler's going to read some questions to you via tweet that some people uh, yes. sent in. So here's the first one. Okay. Uh, Ashley Weltner asks, how do you use data for your tour marketing to ensure you sell the most tickets in each market? 
Oh my goodness, she needs to come work with me. Um, <laughs> well, if I had the time to do that, I would. No, I'm kidding. Um, you know, the the data, our, the data that I have access to as a manager is not that granular. Um, but I do. I am like, for example, I can go on the artist dashboard on Spotify and I can see what our top cities are. You know, so if I've got an artist that's going to go out and tour the U.S. I, I know in advance what their top 10 or 20 cities are. Um, and I can do that on Facebook and I can do that on Instagram. For us, in terms of tour marketing and selling the tickets, it's really more about um, making sure that we are activating all of our promo channels. So we want to make sure the artist is being really um, vigilant about posting regularly every day or two about their tour. And, and posting specifically for each market. Hey, you know, hey, Toronto, I'm coming to see you in three days or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. But then we're also working really closely with the promoter in that town who's putting on the show to make sure that they have all the assets they need to market the show properly. We're, we're working with them, and it's an ongoing conversation about what else can we do to, to you know, to promote the show better in your market. Should we, you know, sometimes we'll, you know, we'll reach out to, you know, like uh, Brooklyn Vegan or, you know, in Austin or the Do One Do Five One Two or whatever, you know, the a lot of these a lot of cities have this like web web uh, outlet called Do and then whatever the area code is. Um, and they're they, they run like ticket giveaways, you know. So they'll have like a profile about the artist and then they'll have tickets they'll run a ticket contest to give tickets away for the show next week or something like that. So we're also doing a lot of that kind of stuff where we're setting up ticket giveaways. Sometimes we're running ticket giveaways on the artist socials. Sometimes we're running them on the venue socials. And there's a lot of that kind of – it's a very integrated um, and multi-pronged approach to tour marketing. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Um, also, because I know we talked about social media earlier, um, and you were talking about introverted artists. If – if an artist is, say, you know, very introverted and don't want to be very social on social media, do you advise that, or are you okay with someone else running their social media, or do you completely advise against that? You think the artist should run their own social media? Um, it's not. It's, it's not a black and white answer, but it's definitely true that artists who do their own social media are going to get better engagement. Um, they don't... Okay, so I have... I have one artist who took a break from social media for a year because they had a baby, and we were doing a lot of posting for them. Um, we never, we never, ever, ever, as managers or as a marketing agency, we never pretend like we're the artist. That's a no-no. You know, um, a savvy fan can tell the difference between an artist and a marketer. We never pretend that we're the artist. So if I have an artist who's not posting enough on their socials and they are open to allow, you know, they'll let us post for them, we post for them, but we don't pretend like we're them. We're just posting sort of more generic versions of what they would post. It's sort of like, hey, come check out so-and-so next week at such-and-such such venue. You know, we can't be as clever because we're not trying to be them. We're just trying to get the word out. Um, so then, that's, you know, it becomes a little bit tricky. 
not an ideal situation, that's for sure. The artist doesn't want to be engaged in their social media. Okay. Um, and can you explain for a second um, playlist promotion and maybe talk about how you would go about getting an artist on a playlist and then what you do to promote that playlist? Yeah. The playlist promotion stuff uh, is also a bit of a – it's a bit complicated. Um, in theory, anybody – who is releasing music on Spotify can access the Spotify for Artists app and submit a pitch for their song for the Spotify curatorial team to consider the song for a playlist. Um, and so we do that for our artists, for all of our artists. Um, we also do have relationships with some of the people that work at Spotify, including some of the curatorial team at Spotify. But Spotify is structured in such a way that they're not really supposed to be taking uh, pitches that way, you know? They're really supposed to be kind of – supposed to. I think they're – in theory, I think they've tried to kind of democratize the process by saying, you know, just because you have a good relationship with someone in the, off, in the Spotify office doesn't mean you're going to get a good placement. Um, but – it's a little dicey because it's a little hard to know what they're doing behind the scenes. One of the things we need to get around is, so, so to backtrack, we do, as managers, go out of our way to have relationships with some of the sort of gatekeepers at Spotify and at Apple and at Amazon and at Tidal, which are some of the four main platforms. We consider the four main streaming platforms in the United States. Um, but, you know, sometimes you're shooting the dark. Like I said, with Spotify, you're submitting your pitch to a, a web platform. You're not talking to a human being, and they don't reply back. So you sort of submit your pitch, and then you just cross your fingers and hope you show up on a playlist on Friday. Um, with Apple and Amazon and, and Tidal, you know, each platform is run differently. So some of them have more sort of you know, access to the editorial team. Um, but then the other thing we do is that we do a lot of third-party playlist pitches. So a lot of, for example, a lot of the Hype Machine blogs also have playlists. And they're important. You know, they're not huge. They're not as big as the Spotify list. But the same way that Hype Machine blogs are sort of the tip of the spear, you know, that's kind of where a lot of times get their start. Um, and if you get, you know, if you get those good blogs with Hype Machine blogs, then you're on your way. So we sort of approach playlists in the same way. We don't necessarily feel that our guests need to be on the biggest playlist out of the gate. What we're really trying to find are the, the cool playlists and the ones that are relevant for our audience and find passionate tastemakers because there are a lot of tastemaker playlists out there. Some of them are brands, some of them are magazines, but a lot of them are just like hardcore music fans who've developed a following because they have good taste. Those are the kind of lists um, that we often go after. I'll give you an example. That there's a playlist that I like a lot um, on Spotify called Rhythm and Groove. And this one actually happens to be a Spotify playlist, but it's very clearly curated by this guy, DJ Caro. And he is a club DJ, and there are ways to kind of, you know, like he's got a life outside of Spotify. He's not on staff at Spotify. So, you know, he, he's someone who's a tastemaker who's getting his playlist to Spotify. So we do look for people like that as well. 
and there are a number of them out there that have pretty well well followed playlists. Well, let's, here's a, here's a question then. Um, could you describe the steps you take? You have a new release coming out for one of your artists as a manager. Um, maybe it's an album, maybe it's a single, but it's a new release. Um, how far in advance do you start marketing that song? And what are the things you do for the streaming services and uh, just across the board to get the awareness out for the street date of that song or that album? We start pitching a song four or five weeks before it's going to be released. And we do that on a number of levels. Um, if there's a video, we will pitch a video premiere to the press. Um, and we have to pitch that many weeks, several weeks before it's going to come out because the premiere has to happen before the release date. Otherwise, it's not a premiere. Um, so that's the, on the PR side. We'll try to find a premiere. If we find a premiere, we, it usually runs the day before the release date or the day of the release date. Let's say we get, you know, Interview Magazine decides to do a premiere, or Rolling Stone decides to run a premiere. It'll usually run the day of or the day before the release date. Um, at the same time, we do, we are also submitting our pitches to Spotify and Apple and all the DSPs, all the streaming services, uh, about four weeks out. And with them, it's more sort of, like I said, some of them were just sort of talking to them. Others were just sort of submitting our our pitch on their on the Spotify platform and then hope it's the best. And then um, we're also doing social media. So the social media um, aspect of that would be sometimes we'll usually we don't start teasing on social media until a few days before it's going to come out, and we'll tease it by either you know running little thirty second clips of it or just teasing the album cover. I mean, it's not you know the single cover, album cover, whatever stuff like that. So let's see, that's press, playlist, social media, and then there's radio. So similarly with a radio campaign, um, and I'm not even necessarily talking about commercial radio, but even like AAA non-com, you know, servicing like the KCRWs and NPRs of the world and uh, WMIC, you know, places like that, and college radio like you guys. Those are still, you know, we, we do service a lot of, of um, AAA and college radio, and we'll usually do that. Sometimes we do that in advance release. Sometimes we do that after the release. Radio is usually a little bit more determined, not only by the release date of music, but but what else is going on. So if we have an album coming out in, let's say, January, um, let's say we had an album coming out in February, and then, but it was a fan that doesn't tour, we would do the radio campaign probably in February, March. But if the record's coming out in February and the band is going to tour in April. Then we would probably run the radio campaign like March, April, as opposed to February, March, because we want the radio stuff to be happening while the band's on tour. That makes mm -hmm. sense. <clears throat> and explain, uh, you use the term, first of all, non-com means non-commercial, mm -hmm. um, just for those people listening. And um, when you talk about servicing radio, explain what you mean by that. Well, we, uh, we don't do radio promotions at Girly Action. So for us, that means hiring someone mm -hmm. or, the rec or the record label has someone. And it's, you know, it's similar to PR or playlist pitching in the sense that you're sending programmers the music and then you're following up with phone calls and you're trying to convince them to play the band on the air. Um, with radio, you know, depending on the format, with college radio and non-commercial radio, it's fairly freeform. 
with uh, more commercial formats, it's, you know, you either are officially have been, you know, they'll do test spins or they'll do an official ad. There's a lot of different layers of radio play that you can get. Um, heavy rotation will be most sort of, you know, the, the gold, holy grail. Um, but, you know, some stations will just do spot play. They won't, they won't officially add the song, but they'll give it to spot play. So, but the process is the same for all of these marketing activations, whether it's press, whether it's radio, whether it's playlist pitching, it's all about getting the music to the people you want to hear it, the gatekeepers, and then talking to them or pitching them and convincing them why you have a good story and why that song or that band or that album deserves attention. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then um, I'm looking at just running through a bunch of your artists and uh, on, on Sp- I'm just looking briefly at this Spotify streams. And um, what is it? Because these artists, your artists are actually doing really well. Like I'm looking at Khaki King, for example. And um, did I say that right? Khaki or is it? Ka- mm-hmm. Ka- okay. And she has a song. Her biggest song is called Night After Sidewalk with 19 million streams. And where, how did you sign her? How long ago did you sign her to be her manager? And what was it, at what level was she when you took over? And what have you been able to do to get her beyond where she was at that point in time? Well, Kathy's an unusual story because, first of all, she's doing instrumental guitar work. There's no lyrics. Um, she does have some songs with lyrics that have come out over the years, but she got her start as an instrumental guitarist, and she has gone back to doing instrumental guitar. Mm-hmm. So she's, you know, there was a period in the middle where she was kind of doing stuff that was a little bit more pop-oriented with lyrics, um, which I think probably if you if if you asked her, she would say it was at the under a lot of pressure from the record label mm-hmm. <laughs> to add to add words to the songs, you know. Um, but Kathy's someone who I actually, she's an unusual situation that I actually, we worked with Kathy, um, as a marketing agency when she put back when she was first starting to release music back in like 2004, 2005. So we had done some marketing for her and we knew each other just from the local music scene. And then about five years ago when she was looking for a manager, she reached out to me because we had some friends in common and, um, I became her manager. So in her case, she was already had a very established career when I came on board. I can't take credit for putting her on the map. She put herself on the map with, you know, her original management company, which was very talented, you know, very talented team. And then when they parted ways um, and she needed a new management, she came to me. And how long ago was that, you said? That was, I think, 2004. Oh, okay, so it's been I, I, no, 15 years. No, I'm sorry. Years. No, wait. No, no, no. I'm sorry. She started in 2004. I started managing her in 2014. Okay, so five years ago. Okay. Yeah. So at that point, I'm just looking, she had two, four, five, six, six albums out, and in 2014, she put out an album. She's put out, I guess, three albums over the last five years. Yeah, and Kaki is a very unusual story because Kaki actually has, um, for the last four years, was touring a, a show that was a con- it was concert plus. So she was on stage performing, but she also was traveling with a video engineer who was projection mapping video content that they designed together onto her guitar. 
So that was a multimedia show, and that got Kaki very interested in multimedia. So she actually has spent the last year and a half developing a new show that we will start to tour next year that is actually almost taking her into the experimental theater world. I mean, it's contemporary arts. It's multimedia arts. And that show... So for Kaki, she's an really unusual artist in the sense that we're not even really focused on her recording career. For her, the recording aspect of her career is more like just sort of the the souvenir, the artifact. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like a lot of pop music, the artist makes a record and then they release it and then they tour to promote the record. But we're almost making records the other way around. Like, Kaki made a show, and now we're going to go and record the music for the show so that she has it to sell at the show. Mm-hmm. So really just thinking of the music as as a piece of merch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's in her case, it sort of becomes the soundtrack for the show. Right. But to be honest with you, that's kind of the direction that the music business has gone in general. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, most artists are not making the bulk of their income on their masters, on their recordings. The recording these days has almost become the marketing package for marketing the artist. So we, you know, we'll, we'll send an album out or, or a link, SoundCloud link, to introduce someone to the artist. But the goal is not usually to get someone to buy the record. The goal is to get them to do something else. Like come to the concert, mm-hmm. or you know, yeah, put the Kaki, put Kaki song in your car commercial if you're a car company, or you know whatever it is. Right. Well, the industry is totally flipped. I mean, we used to tour to promote the record. Now it's the total opposite. Yeah. Now you record a record to promote your tour. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And, and one thing um, you just brought up, and I was going to just ask you because you hadn't really mentioned it yet. You talked earlier about as you're uh, with your PR hat on when you're pitching all, whether it's blogs, whatever media to cover this. Uh, on the other hand, you have music supervisors who are getting pitched for opportunities mm-hmm. for sync deals, whether it's to get a song in the Olympics in summer 2020 or just for a, a Coke commercial or, or anything like that. Are you, mm-hmm. is Khaki an artist who makes sense for something like that because of she's instrumental? Um, or are, do you have plans for every artist? And when you have your check, your artist checklist for every new release, do you have somewhere on there uh, music supervision or sync pitching? Yeah, we do. I mean, all of our, all of my artists, um, even the baby bands. Well, no, I should say all but one. All my artists, except for one, um, has at least a sync agent, if not a publisher. And most publishers have sync teams in-house, mm-hmm. but for artists that don't have a publisher, it's good for them to at least have a sync agent. So, you know, I have relationships with music supervisors. As a manager, I do try to cultivate those relationships, but I can't be as thorough as someone who's there doing it, you know, all day long every day. Um, so we do have sync agents working on most of our artists, and they literally sit there every day, all day long, just pitching music to music supervisors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's tough to do because the supervisors are like, uh, so many people are pitching the supervisors, and the, all the supervisors are trying to pitch all the outlets yeah. who are looking for the content, and 
somebody might uh, reach out just a request for songs to 25 or 50 music supervisors and may get 100 or 300 or 500 songs that they have to go through based upon this description of uh, uh, an upbeat song, tempo 120 beats per minute, needs to have sort of a samba type feel and no lyrics, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. The briefs are usually very specific Mm -hmm. and it's, yeah, it's true. It's, it's the whole music uh, sync world and music licensing world is, is uh, very interesting. I like to refer to it as the dark art because I've been in this business 25 years and I still can't make heads or tails on it. You know, like I, I, I can never predict what songs mm-hmm. are going to be possible and what songs aren't. And I don't think anyone can predict it. It's very, um, it's a very capricious business. As far as I can tell. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think in the old days, the Holy Grail was getting a record label deal. And I think today the, the Holy Grail is either getting an agent or a, for booking agent or getting a sync deal, you know? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting that car commercial or that yeah. Super Bowl halftime cut, yeah. What do you do with a band uh, like They Might Be Giants that have been around forever mm-hmm. and they're not in the spotlight every week or every month, but yet when they do appear, it seems like almost a uh, an event. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I've always been curious about them. Um, well, it's interesting. You know, we've actually been working with them for probably 10 years now. Um, and when we started working with them, it was, it was, you know, sort of, I think, the point that you're getting at, which is that their manager came to us and said, these guys have been around for a little while already. And this is even, you know, back then they'd already been around for a while. Um, and they're really talented, but they weren't getting the attention they deserved. Mm-hmm. You know, whoever was representing them on the marketing side wasn't wasn't nailing it. And um, I don't know, we just we had a really good run with them. They just we love them. They're super talented and super creative people. And you know, we're not magicians. You know, I mean, we work really hard, but we can't we can't make poop smell like roses. And we're not, and we also, you know, it'd be hard to make a rose smell like poop. Um, you know, if, if our artists, we're, we've been blessed. We've been blessed with the opportunity to work with enormously talented artists. And when, when the artist is working hard and they're talented and they're bringing their best creativity to the project, um, then usually there's plenty for us to talk about and work with. And they might be trying to do more than fans. They've been around forever, but they're constantly innovating, you know? Their, their stuff never gets old. I mean, it's just, you know, mm-hmm. you never know what they're going to come with next. Uh, it's it's not like everything sounds the same. It's not like, oh, here comes another they might Giants record sounds just like the last one. That's never true, mm-hmm. you know? So they, they're a joy to work with because they're just, you know, they're so talented. It's just undeniable. So it's not that hard for us to tell their story. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been a great story having you on the air with yes. us, Vicky Starr. Thank, Thank you so much. You. I can't believe how fast an hour went by. I, I know. Talked <laughs> no, it, it was actually really good. We got through a whole lot of stuff. You did an excellent job. Yep. Good. All right. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I love what you're doing over there. Vicky Starr, we appreciate yes. it. Thank yes. you. We love yes. what you're doing. So yes. thanks again, Vicky. Right. Yes. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Very nice person. She has yes. some very good things to say. She brought the birds with her. God. A lot, of, a lot of squeaks. I don't know how much Ashley's going to be able to edit that. I don't know if we'll even see that as a podcast. What? Ah, 
the the listeners can decide. The it's voters just, can decide. I mean, it's just throw it up. Yeah, that's what I say. Put yeah, it put it up there. Who are we to tell them? But um, so we appreciate that, and um, you have been listening to Music Biz 101 and more. We want to thank Ashley Veltner, German engineer, making things happen on that side. Yes. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you so much. Tyler Buchanan, two A's. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, Tyler, for reading yeah. the two or three tweets that you read and asking your own question, going rogue and asking your own question uh -huh. and not reading it in advance. That's insanity what you did, young man. Insanity, I say. And next week... WPU Pioneer Basketball on yes. Brave New Radio. B-ball, baby. B-ball. How, how we doing? Any idea, Ashley? Basketball? Probably great. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> D3 school playing at a D1 level. That's what we do here at Brave New Radio. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dr. Stephen Marconi, thank you so much for and being here. And my co-host. is I. Philip Kirk. That's <laughs> right. My, my emails say Dave Philp, but of course, people then refer to me as Philip. Right. So um, good, good job. So uh, I am your professor, David Kirk Philp, P-H-I-L-P, and we appreciate you listening. And at the end of every show, we do not say hello. Do we, Ashley? Do we say hello at the end of every show? How silly would that be? Quite silly, she says <laughs> with a nod and a grin. No, at the end of every show, we say, join with me, Tyler. Adios! Put me in a vibe, oh she take me to my heart